get in our seats and uh, let me see some smiling faces out there. There we go. There's one. There's another. There's one that's sort of a smiling face. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is. There is an element of humor in that, isn't there? Yeah, God, the Lord has a humor side, I think. One of them is that I'm up here, up front, in this particular class, okay? Uh, the powers that be decided that they'd pick the least qualified person to step into a evangelism class. Um, let's, let's open with prayer. Lord God, um, this is a season when we look at your intentions from before time and, and expressed in uh, Isaiah that uh, you send your anointed one with good news and to free the prisoner. And uh, <clears throat> that's at least part of what we're looking at this morning. So we give you thanks for that. We give you praise. And we praise you for your word, for your Savior, and ask that you will uh, have your way with us this morning in the material that we look at, in the scriptures especially that we look at. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay. Uh, of course, you know, Ryan had to, uh, Ryan went down to Elgin, I think it was, for his grandfather's funeral uh, and to be with his family. So you might remember them in your prayers, continue to remember them. So, <clears throat> today you don't have first string. Uh, you don't even have second string or even third string or even anyone really who's in the league. So uh, maybe, just maybe, you have the water boy. Maybe. Um, when I started out with this, I thought maybe I had enough material for 30, 45 minutes, but it's exponentially increased since then, so we'll have to kind of keep cruising. I want to read to you two passages. And in fact, you, you could actually just be turning to one of them, Isaiah 61. I mentioned it a moment ago. And just, just park on it um, as I talk uh, further on. It'll come up again later on. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Christ speaking, okay? Your Savior. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, 
to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations <clears throat> of many generations. Now, a person could spend a long time expositing the parts and pick pieces of that. But what I want you to grasp in your imagination at least is the picture it paints, okay? Devastations, uh, so, uh, a savior being sent with the good news and, and to, to free the prisoners. It's a picture really. John, another passage, hang on to that one, but let me just read you a couple verses out of John 6, 68 and 69. Simon Peter, now remember this is a very poignant point in Christ's ministry when he was <laughs> preaching the hard truths and people were saying, I've had enough of this, I'm not going there with you, and they turn around and leave, okay? And he turns to his is 12 and says, uh, what about you? Yeah. Uh, will you go away also? Very poignant time. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, ha you remember Isaiah 61.1, you have the words, the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you, Jesus, are the Holy One of God, okay? That's another picture in a way. It's, it's Peter knowing that there is no other place to turn to, okay? But there is you and your words, okay? Now, Peter, at this point, of course, he doesn't... <clears throat> He doesn't have the whole picture. He does, you know, in a, in a, I think it's just a verse or two later, he's going to be taken to task for kind of obscuring, denying almost the very, the central point of Christ's ministry, which is his death on the cross for us. Okay, so he doesn't have the whole picture, but he knows something. Okay, you, it's only you, and I have no other place to turn. I'm one of those people who find, yeah, hang, hang on to that, especially the Isaiah passage. I'm one of those people who finds it difficult to look back over the, the path of my life uh, and answer a couple of simple questions. How did I get from point A to point B and all the points in between? And, and what, uh, what were my motivations to take one path instead of another? Uh, what caused me or... You might say it's almost the why question. Why, why did that happen? Why did it take that path instead of another? I'm one of those Christians that can't <clears throat> put my finger on a specific point in my life where I can say, that's where I was saved. That's where I came to faith. Okay. 
that, that makes it difficult to do what I'll be suggesting during this class, uh, recommending in fact, uh, and suggesting as a homework assignment at the end. Uh, you didn't know, you might not have come if you knew there was gonna be homework, huh? And that is to, to write my personal testimony of how I came to faith and how I was saved. But we know that the really important part of the picture of any Christian's life, and in fact the much larger picture of any Christian's life, is what God does, right? To bring that person to saving faith, to nurture that faith, to keep them to the end. At one level, I'm seeing my life from the, the point of view of my own fallible human understanding. It, it, <laughs> You know, just that, just that one little thing would make a huge difference in our culture, wouldn't it? We, have so, we just have a, a, a unthought of, un, you know, we haven't thought it through. We've just accepted the idea that I, what I, what I, my understanding, my view of things is right. It's right on. It's not clear, not fallible. Just that one change, one little change would change a lot of things, wouldn't it? But I have a fallible human understanding of my own self. What's the verse? Uh, uh, the heart is weak, wicked, and deceitful. Who can know it? Well, even that person cannot know their own heart, right? But much more decisive is God's point of view, and in fact, His will and His intentions, His actions, His work on my behalf. I see my life best when I see it through the lens of His Word, the Bible, instead of through the lens of my own understanding. Uh, but there are a few distinct points in my life uh, that I can look back and put my finger on that give a general picture of the answer to those questions of uh, the path that my life took <clears throat> and how I came to faith. I grew up at least while I was still in, and at least in, while I was still in grade school, going to a true Christian church. It's not a church that I'd, I'd recommend today, a denomination, but it was a true Christian church. Um, like any church, it wasn't perfect. <clears throat> Mom knew we needed to be going, and she took us. And sometimes, I, I mean, I still remember walking the few blocks. I, I don't, I think maybe at that point in time she couldn't, she didn't have a driver's license or something. Um, so she took us uh, to church. Um, Dad didn't go to church with us until years later. He eventually also became a Christian. It was good to have them here in Amarillo because I began to see that in his life. As the years passed, I did indeed come to some knowledge of my own sin, especially the deliberate and brazen sin uh, that later on I couldn't deny. I really, I really tried God's patience. Um, and I do, even today, try his patience. But that didn't bring me consciously to repentance or faith in Christ. At, at 17 or 18 years old, my life was largely one of anxieties. 
uh, introversion, dullness, uh, even deadness or numbness internally. Anxieties about the draft. You know, are they going to send me off to Vietnam? Uh, about what I was going to do with my life, you know, how I was going to earn my way. Not things about God or his things, you notice. Um, distance and disconnectedness from people characterized my life. I suspect that's somewhat common even among young men today, uh, just from my observations. I say common, outside in the world, you know. And this is where we get to, to the two passages I read at the start, Isaiah 61, the first four verses, and that passage in John 6. For, for reasons I don't recall, I was reading the Gospels at age 17 or 18, reading straight through them, beginning with Matthew. And, when I was, uh, and then I was reading, also reading Isaiah because I, I kept noticing they kept quoting Isaiah and alluding to Isaiah, uh, especially when God, Matthew's gospel refers to Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, um, and many others. I still remember a stump of a tree out in our yard. I, I, would use, I used to uh, sit and lean against while I read. Uh, it was while reading those that God captured my imagination. And I think that's an important topic. Don't have time to dwell, in, dwell on it, though. Isaiah 61, the picture there. He captured my imagination. Uh, this was because I had a vague sense that things were not right with the world and, and not right with me. In fact, that things were drastically wrong in a way that I probably couldn't have expressed at the time. And these two passages contrasted sharply with those realities. They do, don't they? And, and, and they gave me a view into a, a different unseen reality. Uh, that man is in a desperate state, having nowhere to turn except to Jesus. God captured my imagination, I say, but that's a completely different thing from him capturing my obedience, especially the obedience of faith, which is a term that's at least used a couple of times in Scripture. It has a distinct meaning. Um, I won't get into that. He didn't capture my obedience. I say that because at some point after that, likely within a year or two, our church held some evangelistic meetings. This is a church that uh, had altar calls, the whole, whole nine yards. During the last meeting, I became afraid of going to hell, but not necessarily convicted of sin. Uh, after that meeting uh, and after everyone had left, I approached my pastor and the speaker at the back. I mumbled something along the lines of wanting to be saved. Um, we knelt and prayed, uh, and I likely prayed a sinner's prayer. There's a lot of things murky. I mean, it, I'm barreling toward my seventh decade, and it's hard to remember anything, really. Um, Immediately after we rose up from praying, my, 
my pastor asked me if I wanted to be baptized. <laughs> In my church at, that, at the time, it, that likely meant during the following Sunday service. That caught me off guard for some reason, and I said no. I'm just laying things out the way they were, okay? Even though I knew it was a point of obedience to God, I think my church taught right on that. Um, the reasons I say I said no are murky to me, but it may not have been, had anything to do with not wanting to be identified as a Christian. I mean, it could have been, but, but rather <laughs> I was an extremely introverted person, and some people would say I ought to nudge back toward that direction some, sometimes. Uh, and baptism seemed to me to be an extremely public event, which was a horror to me and completely out of my comfort zone. But eventually I came to see that as a point of disobedience. Another college-age young man in my church introduced me to the Navigators. I'm grateful. I'm not always sure. Well, anyway, I'm grateful for their ministry to me. Uh, and over a few years' time, okay, now I wasn't, I was in college, but um, I wasn't at a college where the Navigators were at. But he introduced me when he came home from on summer break. And uh, so over the years, I would go to conferences, listen to tapes, do studies, whatnot, okay, with no one, really. I mean, it wasn't a mentoring thing. Um, over a few years' time, I gained some guardrails uh, theologically. Uh, God's Word, the Holy Spirit, uh, and other sound doctrinal lines were laid out for me. As I gained an understanding of the gospel and my love for God's Word, uh, it was established. Oh, that's an incomplete sentence. Anyway, during that period of time, I gained an understanding of the gospel, uh, and, and my love for God's word was established. And I think even, you know, at some, at some level, even back when I was reading Isaiah and John, my love for God's word was established, okay? It needed to have more impact at that time than it did, but it, it had some significant impact. And there was a growing understanding of the need for real repentance and indeed for, for the ongoing, on, ongoing practice of repentance. I was coming more consciously to identify as a Christian, to, uh, knowing that I needed to be obedient to Christ. And I would call this what I th think the Bible calls it, again, the term, the obedience of faith. And I knew that that didn't simply revolve around baptism, but was larger, involving my whole life, and that there were sins and patterns of sin in my life that I had to deal with out of obedience to God. Of course, as you know, that didn't happen overnight. Uh, it's still an ongoing project by God. <laughs> God's project and my participation. Uh, it's an ongoing project of uh, by the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the flesh, as Romans 8 puts it. The company I work for, uh, transferred me to another town, and it, and it was there that I eventually knew that it was no good putting off baptism. So I approached my pastor about this and did that. Uh, there was no dramatic thing that happened then, but I did sense 
uh, as I came up for air, uh, a weight lifted. Okay, that's something that I had been dissipating for, uh, regarding for a long time and had taken care of. And other parts of my life with God were being dealt with. Now, I won't go further because that establishes the general time frame that, that is crucial. When, I, when was I saved? Uh, I won't go further in my Christian life. God's been very good to me. Uh, but the rest of my Christian life, uh, as Lewis says in a different context, completely different context, by the way, it's simply been further up, further in, okay, farther in. Got to get my grammar right or James is going to talk to me afterward about it. So how did I get from point A to point B? Uh, and why did I come to that point where I knew uh, I was right with God, saved and right with God? Well, the simple and straightforward answer to that is that God knows. Okay. As I look back and more carefully read my Bible, here are some, some of the unseen things I know God was doing without my conscious awareness at the time. For one thing, I'm sure that my mom, my grandmother, her mom, and a great aunt were praying for me, praying to God for my salvation. Also, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. That's another passage out of John. I forgot where. That's coming up, though, isn't it? So we haven't, that's why I don't know it, because that's coming. We haven't covered it yet. The Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin and my sinfulness and worked repentance and faith in me. It's another work of God. Another, as Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been giving, given to us. Now, that, that I, maybe I'm just dense, but that has always seemed to be an ambiguous term for me, uh, statement. Uh, is it God's love for me that's been convicted or convinced of in my heart, or is it God's poured into my heart his, my, uh, my love for him, okay? Uh, maybe it's both, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but the most powerful thing I believe it's saying is that God himself put in my heart a love for him, okay? A real tangible love. Uh, um, and it's not something that we come to out of our own dead and corrupt heart. Uh, as John says, not... Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And along with that, notice that come, there comes real Christian hope. Okay, Or as Paul puts it, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is uh, Romans 5, 8 to 11. Since therefore, and I'll just read that, since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received 
reconciliation. And if any of this, especially the last scripture I read, raises an awareness in you of your separation from God uh, for the need for repentance for sins against him and the possibility of faith that God has provided a way in Christ to be reconciled to him, then I'd love to talk to you uh, about that, how you can be right with God. Any of us uh, here, I think, could do that. And I just broadcast that because I don't know who's out here, really. Okay? Now, the material I was assigned. (laughs) I wasn't assigned that material. But it was an example of, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to recommend we write out our personal testimony and be able to share it. Now, I, I just did that yesterday, so I'm not sure I could repeat it. Somebody's already offered to uh, take my notes away so that I could do it from memory. (laughs) But I don't think I could have done that from memory. But maybe uh, someday I can. Uh, So that's that's, uh, what what are... The material I was given by Ryan dealt with uh, how to use our own personal testimony of our salvation with God. Okay, our reconciliation with God. So we're going to talk about that now. Um, This is, of course, just part, I think he's done maybe four or five, I can't remember how many classes he's done on evangelism. Um, He'll continue that at least for, oh, I'm up next week too with Roxanne. Did you all know that? Um, He asked us to, well, I'll let him talk about that. Uh, what we do, he asked us to talk about what we do with our Friday night girls. Okay, so he's going to help us with that. I think that's next week. I don't know. Um, as he uh, he as he's mentioned throughout, this class is uh, intended both to educate us on theological truths about evangelism, but more than that, it's designed to equip us and exhort us to be active and intentional in taking the gospel to the people God has placed around us. Um, Last week, Ryan spent some time looking at uh, sharing of our faith, what it is that that we're sharing, how to do that, or how not to do that as well, overcoming barriers or walls to witnessing. uh, And at least one scripture, 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, I'm going to read that. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, think about that passage. What kind of attitude or demeanor is implied by that as we um, engage with people on the gospel? Okay, persistence. Humility. Anything else? Patience. Patience, persistence. Good. 
not being quarrelsome, uh, kind, being kind as we do that. Mm -hmm. Confident, yeah. That's an important point, by the way. And I think that's the one thing that I, that's one, my, my one point of weakness, I think. And, and I, I think it has to do with my memory or my understanding. I don't know. I'm going to work on that one. I have great confidence in God's ability to save anyone. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Right, okay. That's good distinction. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Rob? Yeah, yeah, it is an uncomfortable subject. That's true. Um, <laughs> your sin has caused God's eternal wrath upon you. That's an uncomfortable subject, isn't it? And you're in a dangerous state. Um, we don't want to soft pedal that, but we want to be considerate, don't we? Okay. Um, and, you know, he, it's interesting that, Tim, uh, that Paul says here, God may perhaps grant them repentance. They may come to their senses and escape. We don't, you know, we don't know the effect of it. Um, I haven't attended all these classes, uh, but I believe Ryan has suggested a four-part framework for delivering the gospel message. God, man, Jesus response. Here's a high level of the content of the gospel message. Uh, God, correction. God created us to serve him, to love him, and to live under his authority. But we have rebelled against God, choosing instead to serve and love ourselves and to reject God's rule in our lives. The Bible doesn't take rebellion lightly. Uh, recently, I've been thinking of that in these terms, that, that God is, is not anyone to be trifled with, okay, over your petty sins, my petty sins. It calls it that rebellion sin. Because God is completely good, He would be just in punishing us eternally for these sins. But while we were yet sinners, he provided a way for us to be reconciled with him. He sent his son, Jesus, into the world. Unlike us, Jesus lived in perfect obedience to his father and then died on a cross as a sacrifice for sinners. Um, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God, is now available for anyone, including any of us, who would turn away, from, turn away from their sins, what the Bible calls repentance, and put their trust in faith in Christ. As Christians, we count it both a joy and a privilege to be given the responsibility of sharing this gospel. How, how could we not share it? 
other news, uh, other kinds of news, we could pass along pales in comparison. Okay. Um, uh, dare I mention news about sports, <laughs> about who, you know, who uh, won the whatever game last yesterday. Uh, I mean, I'd be trading on holy ground if I brought that up. Um, about our health, about the weather, uh, a great meal, a great book, about politics, trading on sacred ground again, or the economy. Uh, this is the, the best possible news, isn't it? In fact, it's, it's, the, most, it's the most needed news, okay? Um, the gospel is the one and only message in the world through which God brings souls from death to life, okay? If you are a Christian, you know that to be true about yourself, and you know how you, as the song puts it, were lost in dark, darkest night, until you beheld God's love displayed in the gospel, and how, as a result, now all you know is grace. Okay, that's a more recent song. Uh, which brings us to our topic for today, finally, what it means to be faithful, uh, to faithfully share your personal testimony. What a uh, personal testimony is and isn't. What is, meant, what is meant by, by personal testimony is the story of how you or I came to be reconciled to God through the gospel. We will flesh this out in more detail, but right, right from the get-go, it should be clear about, we should be clear about something so as to avoid any misunderstandings. Sharing your testimony in and of itself does not necessarily constitute evangelism. Uh, in Matthew 28, Jesus commissions Christians to go and make disciples. In other words, to share the gospel with people and then to encourage those who accept it to grow in spiritual maturity in their relationship with God. And by the way, you'll notice how that reflects Christ's own mission. Uh, I've been sent he says of himself in Isaiah 61, to bring the good news to the poor. Uh, Jesus brings Christians into the Great Commission to tell others about what he accomplished on the cross. That, that is his charge. It's not an option. Evangelism, as has been said several times, is the act of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So even though we are dedicating a whole class to it, to personal testimony. We don't want to think that sharing our personal testimony should ever be a substitute for sharing the gospel. Uh, one pastor put it like this, I think, think it was probably Dever. Uh, a personal testimony is a wonderful thing. The Bible is full of examples of it and we should testify to the wonderful experience of receiving God's mercy. But consider John 9 and the man born blind. He gives his testimony, but doesn't even know who Jesus is. His words glorify God, but they don't present the gospel. This is not evangelism. Unless you're explicit about Jesus Christ and the cross, then it's not the gospel. That's the end of the quote. 
Okay. Our personal testimonies are not the gospel, but rather a testament to how the gospel has proved itself true in our lives. In our remaining time, we hope to grasp how the act of sharing our testimonies can be an effective tool for the purposes of evangelism. So you see the, what it is and what it isn't, okay? It's a tool. Psalm 66, 16. Come and listen, the psalmist says, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. There's definitely many times, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> there's definitely many more, but let's discuss at least three reasons why we ought to reflect upon and share our testimonies. One, to fight fear and doubt in evangelism. Whenever we start to get nervous about the thought of sharing the gospel with someone or whenever we start to doubt if God really has the power to save the person he has laid on our heart to talk to about the gospel, taking some time to remember how uh, God intersected our own life can be a powerful weapon in our struggle to find boldness and faith. Think about this. Praise God that the person who shared the gospel with each of us didn't cower in fear but was brave enough to speak the truth in love to us. Now, for my, on my, um, in my life, that was largely, I think, through um, sermons, gospel sermons, okay? But in your experience, perhaps there's some of you who were talked to personally by people. Uh, either way, I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. Thank God that they didn't, that there was someone there to bring the good. Because, I mean, really... That's how God structured things. <laughs> when, when, when Isaiah 61 says, I've come to, uh, to bring the good news, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, Christ in the flesh bringing good news to every person in the world, okay? He, he, instead, he, he had to die, and he had to go back to heaven, and he had to leave this commission, and Notice, he had to work through each person. He's working through you as you do this. It's not, it's not, uh, but it's not him. You see, the, the distinction is not him coming the flesh to every person in the world. Uh, that's not how human beings are, and he came as a human. Let's see, where was I? I got lost there. Recall how lost we really were without God. Remember, as Paul instructs the believers in Ephesus, Ephesians 2.12, that, at, at, that, that at that time you were separate, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Recall how we, like the, uh, recall, that was the end of Ephesians 2.12, recall how we, like the preacher and hymn writer John Newton, um, wrote of himself before conversion, were capable of anything and had not the least fear of God before our eyes, uh, nor the least sensibility 
of conscience. I was there. Recall how we were hell-bound, how the emptiness of the world lies, uh, the world's lies gnawed at us, how our heart was cold and hard as rock, and how we were an enemy of God. Then marvel at how God saved us. Marvel at how, as Paul continues in that passage from Ephesians, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Brought near. It's that reconciliation. And it's an absolute thing. I mean, brought near has the, the idea of a continuum, but, but what, what Paul means there is really is that it's an absolute. We're reconciled with God. We're in a state of reconciliation at peace. Marvel at how, as St. Augustine wrote in the Confessions, God released us from the fetters of lust which held us so tightly shackled and from our slavery to the things of this world. Marvel at how he changed our trajectory, how he rescued us, how he filled us, filled that gnawing void in our life, how he forgave our sins, how he broke our stony heart and replaced it with a heart of love for him, how he made us his friends. That, that, whole, that whole picture, by the way, I mean, you know this, I'm, I'm sure, is spelled out really quite well in the first 12 verses or so of Romans 8. So go back and look at that sometime. The, the truth, if we are honest with ourselves, is that if God can save you and me, He can save anybody. And I'll just personalize that to myself. If He can save me, He can save anybody. By remembering the miracle, the joy of our own salvation, we're stirred to boldness in, in pursuing the salvation of others. So, the second reason to share our testimony, to, to encourage other Christians to share the gospel. In a similar way, when we encounter brothers and sisters who are struggling to be faithful in evangelism, or brothers and sisters who are struggling with apathy toward the lost, we can share with them how we have seen God at work in our own lives and challenge them to recall God's saving and sanctifying work in theirs. Help them remember. It takes a lot sometimes to remember. <laughs> it's easy for us to talk about where we're from, what we do, what kind of things we're into. Conversations among Christians should be full of testimonies about what the Lord has done and what He is doing. Here's a question for you. Do you know the stories of, of how your friends, here in the congregation especially, um, of the people in your small group, how the folks you regularly set near at church come to know, came to know the Lord? Are you familiar with that? Do you, when you pray for your friends and fellow church members, thank God for how he saved them, for how he brought faithful gospel witness into their lives and brought them to repentance and faith? That, that, by the way, that, I mean, that, that's the kind of person who, who God has worked in in that way, 
who eventually told you about the gospel and helped you come to faith. Okay? If not, if you don't know these stories, make it a point even this week. Oh, this sounds like homework again. I'm sorry. Of asking them to tell you their story, of sharing yours with them. You may find that by doing so, you may feel the desire to share your faith growing again. So the third, so third um, reason to share your testimony, to steer conversations with unbelievers towards the good news and bear witness to its truth in your life. Although sharing a personal testimony does not take the place of sharing the gospel, it can be an extremely effective on-ramp, at least for some, into evangelism. It's, and I, you know, really, in my little teensy-weensy experience with this, I, I, I've seen that. I've seen how a person, he knows what's coming. Ah, this guy's going to talk to me again. I've seen how it, it, um, the gospel softens their heart, okay? It's a great way to move a conversation with an unbeliever that we are trying to build a deep and meaningful relationship with towards the gospel. Tapping, okay, so that's reasons. I, you know, we've got... 12 minutes left. I, I do have some more material here, but I, I do want to make a point to stop and ask questions. I'll refer them to people who know what they're talking about. But I'll, if you have questions, let's talk about this for a moment. Yes. Right. And I think you just put your finger on my reluctance, too. And in fact, I remember hearing... Lord, help me here, but uh, I remember hearing someone say, say, share your, I can't remember how they put it, share your testimony. They can't argue with that. And I thought, well, yeah, they can argue with that. <laughs> and it's not because my pure and pristine life, you know, <laughs> uh, they can't argue with it. Yeah, you don't want it to be just pray, and you don't want it to be kind of a another. Think of it as an evidence that God does this. It's just an evidence that He can do it. And uh, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Right. And and Brad said steering it toward the truth. That's what it's about. It's about the truth, the objective truth of the gospel. And that's why I I, I think I said something about just you know. When I think about my life, I mean, if you're one of those people who are really super confident about your memory of how your life went and how you, I'm sorry, how you came to faith, okay, I'm congratulating you. My life was very murky, and I think part of the reason had to do with, with the sin in my life and, and the effects of sin. That last line in Isaiah 61, the devastation, devastations of many generations. How many generations? From, from, from the fall, 
It's been that long, guys. God is going to... <laughs> he's going to re, he, reset the picture of, of what has happened over the last so many thousand years. And, and, and every, every unbeliever is, is an effect. He, he's, a, he's part of that picture of the devastations of many generations. Okay? And God is miraculously resetting that by His good news and by the power of Christ's death and resurrection. Let that take you over. Let it consume you. Rob? I'm just thinking, like, part of the power of sharing your own personal testimony. Right. Um, that's, that's helpful, again, mm -hmm. furthering the conversation. Right, yeah. And having, you know, having gospel truths to say instead of, along with your own personal testimony, you know, I think that's effective. And I think, I... I believe in the power of God's word just plainly said, frankly. Okay, now we have six minutes. Okay. And we probably have 20 minutes of material here, but I'm going to cut, cut it short. Um, uh, you are familiar with... Um, with the passage in John 4 about the woman at the well, Samaritan woman at the well. You, you know all about it. You know the complete social disconnect uh, there uh, between a Jew, Jesus, and this Samaritan prostitute. Um, so I won't read you the whole thing, but you're aware of it. Um, and he eventually Jesus, of course, says, I who speak to you am he. I'm the one that I've been talking about all the way. You've been asking questions. I've been talking to you about this Messiah who you brought up. You're, you're the one who brought up the, <laughs> the topic of the Messiah uh, and turned this whole conversation from water that I, you know, your thirst to humongous spiritual things, okay? That's where we're at. I'm he. I'm the one. I, of course, I can't say that, but, but I can point to the one who did say it. And you'll notice what happened. Uh, the, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, I won't, I won't get into what she knew and didn't know about the gospel, okay? She had some idea from some Old Testament exposure that uh, about a lot of things, okay? Sort of like Paul later on, who, who had all this Old Testament scripture in his head, but hadn't put the pieces together, okay? And then suddenly... God enlightened his heart, and, and then he understood. She might have had some of that understanding. They, they went out of the town and were coming to him. 
many Samaritans from that town, this is further down, this is, uh, yeah, John 4. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Man, I would have loved to have been there, huh? Maybe we'll get to hear some of that later on. Whew. Sometimes scripture is like Mexican food, really good Mexican food. You can feel it coming out of the top of your head. And many more believed because of his word. So it didn't stay there. You notice it didn't stay there with the uh, with her testimony. Okay, now he's speaking to them, uh, and we have it. Uh, where is it? Right here. Okay. We have God's speaking to us right here, okay? Um, it's no longer because of what you said, they say to this woman, we, that we believe, but for we have heard for ourselves and know that this in, is indeed the Savior of the world. And of me too, by the way, they're saying. Uh, there's a lot that can be said about this passage. The way Jesus goes directly against societal and religious standards of the day by willingly entering into an exchange with a Samaritan woman, the way he reads the woman's heart and reveals her sin. Of course, we, we can't do that, but we know, don't we, about human beings and their hearts, at least in a general way. Um, the way he in mercy holds out himself to her as the fountain of life, the way he affirms God's revealed will through the nation of Israel, while at the same time opening up the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. That was the Abrahamic promise, a blessing to the nations, right? Pretty amazing. Huh? Uh, but let's look more carefully at what the woman does in response to her encounter with Jesus at the well. Whoop, cutting it short here. Uh, there's two rough guidelines. First, the woman testifies to others about her experience with Christ. Okay. You'll notice that. Um, and then, secondly, she directs them to Jesus. Come and see. Okay. It's never, it's never our testimony that brings someone finally to salvation. It's never our testimony that finally brings someone to salvation. You know that. I don't need to. I did repeat it, but I didn't need to. God is the one who saves. And even still, our testimonies can be a wonderful way, as we have seen here in John 4, to steer people toward the Savior. Unlike the woman at the well, we don't have the option of literally taking our friends and family to Jesus. Instead, we have the charge to introduce them to the Jesus of the gospel, okay? Very quickly, this is what I should, probably should have spent most of my time on, frankly, I'm sorry. A framework for sharing your personal testimony. Um, number one, what your life was like before Christ, and remembering that, like I've said, can be a challenge. Being honest with, about it can be a challenge, too. 
Um, no one's born a Christian. Uh, rather, each of us, as, as David put it, uh, we're, we're, we're sinners from our conception, really. Uh, by God's grace, some come to know him early, some later, but all of us were apart from Christ, enemies of God. Uh, talk about this season of your life, uh, how you used to think about God or sin or Christianity. It's often in this sharing that the person or people you're sharing with will be able to relate to you and see how they too have strayed from God. And I, I just want to park on that for a second here. A lot of what, what I think is being suggested by this is, is that people hear, people hear either your testimony or they hear the scriptures and they, something rings true. Some, they, they, they say, yeah, I, in their mind, they say, yeah, I, I understand what he's saying and that's where I'm at, okay? Or maybe I'm right here instead of right where he was at, you know? It's, it's, uh, they, they begin to identify with it. Number two, how you came to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. Again, uh, some people may have dramatic circumstances, others uh, very undramatic or very hard to remember even. Uh, the point where you turned from sin and trusted. Uh, share with him how you did that. Uh, number three, what your life has been like since knowing Christ. Um, it's not a time, of course, we've already talked about this, to highlight how great you are or how great I am, but instead it's a time to show them how great Christ is and how he transformed your life. It's an excellent time to talk with them about uh, you, your own personal enduring need for the gospel. In fact, you still need it to this day. Uh, take the opportunity to dispel the false ideas about Christianity, that, that Christianity is, per, is for perfect people. Tell them how Christ is still your Savior. You still need His abundant mercy. And, and share how, uh, tell how the person you're sharing with can experience the same. Uh, there must be a call to respond to Christ. That I think Ryan has dwelt on that. It's important to, uh, when you've shared, to clearly state that you aren't asking them to become like you. Instead, you're calling them to do what the woman at the well did. Come and see Jesus. Point to Christ. Uh, and you're, and consider, call them to consider this Jesus who has changed your life. Tell them that he can as well. So some, some homework. Uh, Continue to pray for hearts that see lost people like God does for your own heart too. Continue to pray for open doors. That, that means open hearts and minds in evangelism, prepared hearts. We don't come into a conversation with somebody uh, cold. God has been tilling the soil, okay? Continue to pray for the lost people in your everyday area of influence write out your testimony and share it with someone this week. We're four minutes over. Apologies.
you're dismissed.